0: Thank you, Dad, and thank you, Mom. Uh, I'm glad that the the two people that I get to thank today are my mom and dad. Um, it is wow, such an honor and a blessing to be able to be here. Uh, Kelby and I uh, just a couple days ago were talking about how uh, no matter where we go, we always have a home in Buellland. So it's good to be home, and I do not say that lightly. Um. You know, we are going to be in James chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 12. But uh, not only does it feel like it's, I, I know I'm still young and I'm new uh, really in, in all of life, in marriage and in, in uh, life out of uh, school, but uh, this does truly feel like a full circle moment. Uh, to be able to preach in the pulpit that I've watched my dad preach in for the last uh, seven years or so. And then not only to uh, to be able to preach and share God's word, but the ultimate blessing to be able to preach the service and afterwards my wife will be baptized. What a blessing that is. So we are, we're definitely excited for that. Um, so... Excuse me if it's uh if you can hear me breathing i'm trying to trying to put it down but uh like i said we're going to be in james chapter four and i'm not good at making sermon titles most times i've actually got two or three sermon titles and i just either settle on one or i let you know all two or three of my sermon titles and then we go through them but i've ultimately ended up on grace and getting along that's what this uh sermon is called now I'm reminded by this. The premise here is that out of all people, it seems as though Christians have the hardest time getting along and not only Christians but Christians with other Christians and I'm reminded through my sermon of a story of two guys on a tandem bicycle. Now before I begin, I told this story to Kelby. Every sermon that I preach, Kelby hears it first and she said, what is a tandem bicycle? And I thought, I thought that was a given, right? So she said, well, listen, when you say it, you need to say what a tandem bicycle is. So for, the, for those of you who don't know what a tandem bicycle is, it's the bicycle with two seats. Okay, so there's these guys on a tandem bicycle and they, they basically, they have to go from one side of town to the other. And in between the two sides of town is a massive hill that they have to get across the room, they're on a tandem bicycle, so it's a little tough. So, uh, there's one guy on the front and one guy on the back, and like I said, they, they had some goods stead so to look from one side to the other, and they said, Well, there's, this is the only way around, so we'll have to go this way. So, I say, Okay, and they start their treacherous uh, uphill movement up the hill. And uh, the, I mean, man, it was long and it was tough, and when they, when they finally made it up there, the guy, the guy on the, the front end of the tandem bicycle said, Whoosh. It was tough, wasn't it? And the guy, in the, the guy on the back says, man, no kidding. To think we might have slipped off if I wouldn't have had my foot on the brake the whole time. <laughs> it, it, so I say, that, I say that to say that I'm reminded that that's kind of how Christians treat each other. So, so Christians oftentimes have a hard time getting along with each other, and we're going to talk about that. So if you would... Uh, stand for just to honor God's word as we read verses 1 through 12. Uh, Here's what his word says. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. Uh, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not. Ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Watch this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer uh, defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Uh, Dear God. Uh, I pray that you open our minds and open our our hearts and our ears. Father, as we've heard many times in this pulpit, hide me behind that old rugged cross. I pray that it's not I who am seen, but you through me, Father. Uh, Keep us safe on our travels home. And, and Father, just just like I said, show up and show out and speak through us, Father. In your name we pray. Uh, Amen. So if, I'm going to kind of break this down uh, verse by verse. It's kind of what I've I found that I like to do. I've only preached a couple sermons, but I've found that that's what I like to do. And uh, as we go through, I'm going to give you the different sermon titles. For this. So I, I could have got my use out. I could have got three sermons out of this, but I, uh, I jumbled it into one. But I'll be back tonight for the, for the, for the, the next part of chapter 4. So, uh, Verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So this is grace and getting along. You see, pride and selfishness are, are utterly natural to the fallen world. And by the fallen world, I mean the world that we live in. Uh, it, not only are they natural to the fallen world, but they oftentimes serve as a basis for what I like to call advancement in worldly rank. You think if you, if, you, if you keep pride and selfishness in your pocket and you use it uh, wisely, you can often get a lot further than people who don't use that. It's because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-filled world. But James, for the Christian, lists them as the source of wars and fights within the congregation. Now, a little—I uh, find it funny— Uh, Oftentimes, people say, you know, it would have been easier to believe if I could have just laid eyes on Jesus. If I could have been alive when Jesus was alive, or if Jesus could have been alive when I was alive, it would have been easier. And it's wrong. The guy who wrote this book shared a parent with Jesus, and he didn't believe in Jesus until post-death, burial, and resurrection. So, this is the guy who is the half-brother of Jesus, and he shares a parent with Jesus. And he grew up in the house that Jesus did. He's Jesus' half-brother, and he did not believe. Now, after, I think it's, I think it's a 50, 4, 45 or 50 years after, uh, he wrote the book of James. It's my favorite book in the New Testament. There's a lot of people who agree with me on that one. It's only five chapters. Very short. But um, it, I just find it funny that people say that, and it's good that we can use James to connect that. So, uh, though we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, if you think about it... Um, There's a lot of common denominators specifically between everyone in this room, right? So we all worship the same God. Uh, A lot of us have the same morals, the same values. A lot of us have the same political compass, uh, the same beliefs. Uh, We all go to the same church. We listen to the same music. Um, But it, it seems like we have the hardest time getting along. I'm going to quote Mahatma Gandhi. If any of you know who Mahatma Gandhi is, you probably find it uh, strange that I'm quoting him. Mahatma Gandhi was uh, astronomically influenced, I mean, just so influential to Buddhism. And uh, due to Gandhi, so many people became Buddhists. Gandhi is quoted later in life as saying, I would have become a Christian if it weren't for Christians. Here's a quote from Gandhi. Listen to this. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Mahabha Gandhi said that. Now listen, I'd like to take a deeper dive into this. Nobody look at Kelby while I'm talking. If you were to follow me around with a camera, if you were to follow my life around with a camera and take snapshots at certain instances, you would not see a Christian all the time. You would see someone who is a christian but might not have portrayed themselves as a christian i mean if you were to literally follow me around hayden show, I can't, I'm, I'm too tired can't you or the other day when kelby and i went to get i think it was uh passports or something i, I lord I, I lost it on the, these government employees and i when i left i felt terrible because i told kelby i said you know if that's the only time and they were so nice to me. I mean, I'm telling y'all. so I mean, I dropped the ball on this one, really. And, and I thought to myself, if this is the only time I ever see them, they will not know me as a Christian. They'll never, ever know that I was a Christian. You know why? Based off my actions. Based off the way I acted. How embarrassing. I mean, how, how foolish of me. I might have been the only little ounce of Jesus that they ever see, and I dropped the ball. So... I'm taking a stab at myself here to show that we've all we've all been in this situation at least one time. You know, the Bible says that you will know the tree by the fruit that it produces. So if we're Christians, or we claim to be Christians, but we're not producing the fruit that a Christian produces, has true justification ever happened. I, preach, I talked about that at Men of Faith. Um, here's what God says about, about treating each other. And this is not necessarily Christian to Christian. This is Christian or really to anyone in general. Um, John 15, 12, and 13, if we could put that one up there. You don't have to flip this. Anything from here on out that's out of James, I've got a lot of verses, but I'll have them uh, on the screen, Lord willing. Um, and so so, 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 well, I'm sorry. Jared, Jared called me Joel. He said I don't like Joel Osteen, other, so I, I had to take a stab at him for that. Um, but here's what it says. John 15, 12, and 13. So my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And once again, nobody look at Kel because I quote this one all the time. greater It's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Greater love hath no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. So that's how we're supposed to treat each other. We're supposed to do it in love. Conflict, right? So if there is conflict in the church, right? If there's conflict within the congregation, here's a fact for you, okay? Here's, here's what the Bible says. So don't get mad at me. Conflict doesn't exist among two Christians who are both walking in the spirit, right? So uh, neither of the two may be walking in the spirit. Uh, Only one of the two may be walking in the spirit. The other one might not, but both cannot be. Okay, so let's break this down so easy. So if there's, we've established that Christians have a hard time getting along with Christians. I mean, think of how many churches uh, uh, just disappear over the color of the carpet or committees, or Sunday school classes, or or fights within the congregation. Uh, It's insane how many churches are are right now without pastors, without worship leaders, without youth ministers, without a congregation. Um, So let's see this. So if there is conflict within the church, right, Do we just remain non-confrontational. So if we are, which which, um, this little breakdown was supposed to be in another one, but this is good here, so I'll do this too. So... Uh, the, let me see if I can remember it. I've got it written down, but I've got my dad right here, and I'll, i I'll, him I'll, I'll, if I get it wrong. So the word Christian, the, the, the Greek word is Christianos, okay, and it comes from two Greek words, Christ and Tian, okay, and Christ is anointed, one, and Tian is little. So if the, if, if Christianos, right, and the O's is one, so it's, if a Christian is watch this a little anointed one and then christ in the bible is referred to as the messiah which messiah means anointed one in christ the messiah is the anointed one and we are his little anointed ones then we are quite literally supposed to be little christ a christian is to be a little christ So do we remain non? So what's my what am I what am I getting at here? What's my answer? Do I do we remain non-confrontational? Is that how you get rid of conflict within the church? And no, that's not the answer. Why? Because if we are supposed to be little Christians, righteous anger was a characteristic of Jesus, and I'm going to talk about a little bit more um, about that here in a second. Uh, Righteous anger was very well a a characteristic of Jesus. So if we remain non-confrontational. And uh, that's not the answer. Do we, do we judge people? Do, do, are we confrontational? And that's not the answer either. I, I, I claim to be, I'm a Christian, right? So I claim to be a Christian. I'm uh, not a Christian, uh, I grew up in church. Uh, I've got a, a, what I would consider to be a healthy um, understanding of church. Uh, my dad is a pastor, right? And when I hear a self-righteous Christian speak, do you know what I think? Oh my oh gosh, that self-righteous Christian. So imagine what somebody who in a Christian, who didn't grow up in church, who's not in the pastor, who doesn't have any, any spiritual background, thinks when a self-righteous Christian talks. If that's, if that's how I think and I have that background, then imagine how someone who has never heard the gospel thinks. So we're not supposed to be non-confrontational, but we're not supposed to be confrontational. So what's my answer here? So here's—I don't want to give an answer. I'm going to give what the Bible says. I'm going to give you three different verses about what the Bible says And, uh, if you don't like it, I'll be back tonight and we can, we can talk about it before my, my next sermon tonight. So the word, the phrase that's used here is, is, uh, accountability. It's important to have an accountability partner. It's important to, um, hold each other accountable. And at the end, I'm going to close with how to do that. I'm going to talk about what that is. And then I'm going to talk about how to do that because that's very important. So Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, uh, let me stop, let me stop. Um, I got three verses, and they get more detailed as they go. Uh, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should res- excuse me, restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So that's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We're going to go to James five sixteen says, therefore, this is basically the same thing, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and uh, effective. I'm not sure if that's in this one. I've got a Charles Spurgeon quote where he basically just talks about all of heaven is foaming at the mouth at the grasp of the the prayerful man the man who is deep in prayer all things good to be had from god all god's promises are rich and inexhaustible and they're all to be had they're all at the grasp of the man who prays so how important it is to pray um this is the most specific one and there's debate on whether this is um old and outdated or 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 new but um if you look at the the basis of it it's it's still relevant if you're, this is Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So that's good. Let's look at the next part. But if they will not listen, right? There's the opposite. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Uh, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And this is for small things, even good things, right? So, so, I, so Jared said I was told, you know, I told him I would do this. So this is, uh, this is you know what you have to—and this, this was going to be in my, my sermon, so I'm not just doing this for you, Jared. Don't feel special. But
1: uh,
0: <laughs> even, even things that we consider worldly, right, because there is no such thing as good— I read a book one time called How Good is Good Enough. I, I, I can't remember who it was by, but it just is so good if you ever get a chance to read it. But uh, even things that we wouldn't consider to be necessarily bad things, if they're not biblical, we're, we're still to call them out. So since I'm Joel Osteen, so uh, uh, listen, I, I don't think most people are bad. I think most people are, I think most people are good people that make bad choices and it's wrong it's false the bible says that not one man is good it says that all of our hearts are deceitfully wicked and that at the end of the day deep down we're, we're worthless and we're nothing and let me tell you something i've got bragging rights i think i said this in men of faith i will have bragging rights in heaven you know why because i deserve grace the least i deserve grace the absolute least so we need to hold our christian brothers and sisters accountable even with things that aren't really necessarily bad if it's false doctrine it is bad um let me get off of verse one let's go look at verse two and three you desire and do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and wage war (coughs) you do not have because you do not ask and then to those who do ask you ask and uh, don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on our pleasures. The Lord's Prayer lays out uh, what a prayer is supposed to look like. Um, so there's two statements here, and they're what I like to, uh, I, I wrote it down as they're distinguished by their paired opposites. So if you look, uh, desire is paired with do not have. So you desire, but, but you don't have it. Uh, the other is murder and covet and cannot obtain. So two. Um, statements distinguished by their their paired opposites. Their desires were unappeased because they were asking with wrong motives. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Your will and God's will. So your will needs to be aligned with God's will. You know that literally, I mean, it's, it's biblical. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, Jesus is like, if there's any other way. I mean, literally, God, if there is any other way. I mean, this is right before, I mean, you know bleeps about to hit the fan okay and he says if there i mean literally if there's any other way but he went through it because it's not his will but it's god's will so if our will and and i look i'm I'm down i've scrolled down here and that quote was in here so i'll give it to you all heaven charles spurgeon all heaven lies before the grasp of the asking man all promises of god are rich and inexhaustible and their fulfillment is to be had by prayer so it's a little off but you get the idea Um, so if our will isn't aligned with God's will, God's will is going to condition the course. If you come back tonight, remember this word, he's going to condition the course of life either way. So the thing that we could pray is just pull me out of the way, help me not to get in the way. So, uh, if we get in the way or we try to, we try to set up our life first, uh, there were, there were, there were a couple comments our conversations that I had that ultimately brought me not back into the ministry, but when I was probably thirteen or fourteen, I felt the call to ministry and I'd answered it, and then just years went by and I just, you know, never did anything. And I was talking with a friend of mine, and he felt called to the ministry. And we were talking and he said, You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do what I need to do. And if God wants me in the ministry, he's gonna he's gonna rip me out of whatever profession I'm in. And it angered me so much. And the whole, it's not a bad comment by any means. It's just like this, I don't believe most people are bad people. I believe people are good people who make bad choices. Uh, It's kind of one of those comments. And um, it just angered me, angered me, angered me. I was just so angered by that comment. Um, But I didn't feel right about it. And I was driving home. And I just thought, why am I so angry at this comment that he made? And it's because it was what I was trying to do. I was trying to get my life figured out. And then when I was ready, I was going to let God take over. And, uh, and it's just when you, when you give your will to God, he's going to make it so much easier to condition the course of life. So verse four, you adult verse four and you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or uh, do you think, me, or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? So the phrase uh, adulterous people here isn't necessarily talking about an unfaithful spouse unless you look at it in terms of what the congregation is referred to. So if this is about uh, if this is about the congregation being unfaithful, right? So if you think about the, how the congregation is referred to as the bride and Christ is the groom and one day god will say go get your bride and that's us we're referred to as adulterous people because the bride has been unfaithful we have been unfaithful to god so not only uh it says this phrase referring to the congregation's unfaithfulness to god self-centeredness is cast as hostility towards god uh watch this if you hear nothing else hear this do you want to know do you want to know i learned this we want know the worst way to live, the worst, the worst possible way you could live. It's after the lusts of your flesh. And here's why. You'll never be satisfied. You see, the itch that you're trying to scratch, it's never going to feel lasting relief. Uh, you know why? Because God never intended for the lusts of the flesh to be ultimately fulfilling or satisfying. He wants so much more for you. I'm about to, I'm about to go off. Um... This is not something that's in the Bible, but just just follow me. Just imagine. Okay? Imagine that, that when you get to heaven, God is gonna, is gonna stand before you, and He's gonna have beside him who you could have been. He's gonna have who you could have been if you'd have given 100 percent to him. How close, how close are you gonna be to that version of you? Your goal. Your ultimate goal should be as close and as, I mean, just as identical to that person as you can be. i got to get through this. Verse 6, but he gives greater grace. And I just, I, I, mean, I just realized I didn't even give you my three sermon titles. Just go with the one. Grace and getting along is fine. But he gives <laughs> greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is mentioned uh, numerous times in the Bible. The sermon that I'm preparing for next week. Um, is, is, uh, has that same scripture in it. Uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why does God resist the proud? You want to know why? Because the proud resist God. Right. That's important. Keep that in mind. Um, the word resist, used in this context, is actually a military term. I've got it here. It's used to describe, here's the definition, used to describe an army array for battle. So resist, literally, in that sense, like a military term. So to remain in sinful pride, watch this, is to invite God's battle array against you. If you remain in your sinful pride, because here's where it says at first, Proverbs 3.34, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. So, uh, Dad, when, I, when I, I think I first got the call to ministry, and I gave my first sermon right there. Um, he, gave, he said, this is what it is. This, it's three points. Or, or there are three sections here. So there's a story. It's a tandem bicycle story. And then there's your sermon, which is what I'm talking about right now. And then there's your so what. So I've got a so what. I've got to wrap up. I've got a so what. This is your so what. It's also called your call to action. This is I've taught you everything. So we've established that there's fights and wars between the congregation, among the congregation. We've established we can't be confrontational. We can't be non-confrontational. We have to hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. So here is how to do that. Uh, Verse 7 through 9, let's read that real quick. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. so here is your so what or your call to action um, of the message james issues the commands needed to receive um, relieve conflict within the church so two steps so submit to god which is also to, to humble yourself when you submit to god you deny yourself take a back cross and follow me uh, when you when you submit to god you humble yourself and then you resist the devil not only is this resist the devil but this is watch this an active resistance against temptation and active resistance uh, double-minded i'd like to i'd like to pull up james chapter one verses five through eight this is what it talks about this double-mindedness uh that you could connect this to lukewarm christians or you could you could connect this you can connect this to, just, let me just read it if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault And it will be given to you, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is, watch this, like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So let's look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So this is the path to having forgiveness from God, as well as reconciliation Uh, among members of the church if quarrels have come about so the action here is you humble yourself before the lord the reaction from the lord is that he will exalt you uh verse 11 don't criticize one another brothers and sisters anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge so i've got a study bible and in here it 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 gives me little tips and pointers and it, it describes criticism as malicious, judgmental speech toward others. It's pretty it's pretty harsh. So by criticizing one another, we're violating the royal law. Some of you may know the royal law as something else it's called the golden rule. Um here's here's where it is in scripture. James two, eight. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Okay. Verse 12, this is, this, is, uh, where, this is where I close. So before I, before I explain how to hold each other accountable, I close here with the, the, the back side of this, the side that we need to be careful of, we need to be mindful of. And it's this, this, uh, this last verse. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So... Um, there's one lawgiver. There's one judge. There's one who's able to save and destroy. It's God. Who are we to judge? But, but be careful of this. And I'm going to give you a phrase, right? Only God can judge me, right? And when someone says that to you, they're expecting you to be just accepting of their sins. Because remember, you can't judge them. Only God can judge them. And, and watch this. He will. And he'll judge me. And he'll judge you. So be careful when someone, and like I said, be careful, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to close. I'm about to wrap it up just to show you how to hold each other accountable. But be careful of this because someone said, because it says here, or, or, not it says here, when someone says only God can judge me, just, just watch for it. Remember, remember back to this day where I pointed that out and I said, that, yeah, you know, you're right. Only God can judge you, but I'm, I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm, here's how I'm going to do it. So um, let's close. As a Christian, should you judge people? No. As a Christian, should you hold other Christians accountable? Yes. And I close with this. Here's how to do it. Here's my two tips for holding each other accountable. And these are the most important. The first one is do it in love, right? Because anything said to me in love, I can handle
1: Okay?
0: The second thing, and don't miss this, because this is something that I'm going to have a problem with, or I do have a problem with, and you might have a problem with it. Be able to be held accountable. You can't hold accountable without being able to be held accountable. So hold your brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. Be able to be held accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Um, Be aware of your sins. Be aware of your strengths. uh, Be aware of your weaknesses. Especially aware of your weaknesses. Because here's the thing. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus was left absolutely famished. And when Satan tempted Jesus, he tempted him with bread. So after 40 days, when Jesus was left famished, he tempted Jesus with what would have been at that time Jesus' weak spot if Jesus wasn't 100% God as well as 100% man. So Satan knows your weak spots. So if you're mindful of your weak spots... You can bring them to God before Satan brings them to you. So hold each other accountable in love, brothers and sisters in Christ, and be able to be held accountable in love. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for the blessing. I thank you for what an honor it is to be able to come and share the gospel of Christ uh, to people that I have loved and have loved me and have been so good to me and my family, God. I, I, I pray for everybody 's travels on their way home. I pray that this message was heard and received Father and it 's not uh, uh, as soon as we walk out of here it 's not about what restaurants next it 's not about the nap or it 's not about getting ready for the work day tomorrow father that you that you, you you pierce our hearts with this message and I pray for for Kelby as she uh, is getting baptized I, I thank you for her act of obedience i uh, thank you for I thank you for what you 're doing god if there's if there's any heart in here that that desires to know more, Father. I pray that I pray that you bring them, and I pray that you show them love and shower them with grace and compassion, Father. Be with us throughout this week, Father. And thank you for sending your one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand.
1: And tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling. Is good all and all the time, God is good. amen. Thank you for challenging our hearts, Hayden. Thank you for those words from the Lord. Thank you for being used as a vessel and as an instrument of God's goodness and God's grace. Just real quick, um, uh, Bob and Tina, welcome back. Amen. Welcome back. Uh, big part of this church family and the church history here, so we appreciate them. Um, at the conclusion of this service, we want you to join us in the parking lot uh, right at the conclusion. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be a beautiful day.
0: I'm honored to, to see what God is doing in both Hayden and Kelby's life. I'm going to turn it over to Momo because uh, she has a, a little presentation.